Welcome to Accelerated. I'm your host, Vitaly Golem. On this second season of the podcast, we are hearing from some of the global leaders in everything electric and autonomous, moving us quickly into the future. On this episode, we speak with Gilbert Passin, CEO of RightSpeed, maker of heavy-duty EV platforms for commercial trucks and buses based in California. Gilbert served as VP of Manufacturing at Tesla during its most formative years. There, he grew the vehicle manufacturing team from scratch and launched the Fremont factory, Model S, several other Tesla factories, and EV products. Before Tesla, he was the GM of U.S. West Coast operations at Toyota and led Volvo and Mack truck manufacturing. Here's our conversation with Gilbert. Thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, really appreciate you spending some time with us. I think you have a fascinating background and uh, would love to uh, talk a little bit more about that. So let's start at the beginning. Uh, many little boys grow up playing with cars and trucks. Some are lucky enough to turn that early interest into careers in the automotive industry. And you did exactly that from the beginning. How did you get started in the automotive industry? Well, it started when I, when I was a little boy, as you mentioned, you know, I, I was intrigued by mechanical um, uh, devices and, and vehicles. So I started with a dirt bike. Um, I grew up in a, in a very uh, kind of a country looking area of France uh, between France and uh, Switzerland. And I had a dirt bike. So that's how I started to get into the, you know, the engines and all kinds of things to do with the bike and repairing my own bikes. And then later on, repairing my own cars. As I was a student, I didn't have a lot of money, so I had to repair my own car. So that uh, led me to naturally to engineering and understanding how things work. And then uh, in college in Paris, I, I was uh, I chose the uh, you know uh, robotics as being one of my major uh, at, at uh, university. So robotics was one of these fields at the time that was kind of like the the next. Uh, technology of the moment uh, in the 80s and I really enjoyed uh, you know the kind of um, the potential technology that robotics would offer and then naturally from robotics that led me to automotive because at the time in France at least Renault Automation was a leader in robots uh, industrial robots and this is how I kind of I got into the automotive business and you spent over a decade leading truck manufacturing at Mack and then Volvo how is truck manufacturing different from passenger vehicles? Yes, yeah, so uh, the trucks are actually a lot more complex than they look. <laughs> and the, the truck uh, the truck business and the truck manufacturing is more seasonal, uh, you know, um, than, uh, let's say, passenger cars. It's, it's not as stable in terms of demand. There's also a lot more customization. Every trucker, every fleet has this, uh, very different specifications. And trucks are actually, from a manufacturing, for, from a design and manufacturing uh, is, and therefore supply chain is very much customized and so you know I, I learned to deal with that and uh, as a factory or as a manufacturing process um, less stable uh, you need to be very creative to be able to uh, establish a very cost-effective manufacturing process with trucks with passenger cars the demand being a lot more stable there's more standardization and I think I don't want to see it's a little easier, but it's kind of a different uh, process. And speaking of process, uh, you later moved on to Toyota, where you worked your way up to become the GM of West Coast uh, U.S. operations. Toyota is famous for its lean manufacturing process that inspired even the whole uh, lean startup movement in the tech world. 
a few years back. Uh, tell us about the engineer manufacturing culture there and what you learned from this process. Oh, I, I learned uh, tremendously with Toyota. So, as, as you know, the, the Toyota, as they call it the Toyota way, right, it's really a philosophy of life. Uh, I remember very well when I started um, in Toyota Canada, uh, where I was in charge of the manufacturing of the Cambridge facility, um, I had my sensei, his name is Yasu, and we started out uh, one day and, uh, you know, getting to know each other, and he ended up um, giving me a little book, a little red book called the Bushido. And the Bushido is essentially kind of the code, the art of the samurai, the art of warrior. And he explained to me that Toyota Way is essentially very similar to the philosophy of Bushido. Uh, you know, you need to be very committed, very loyal, uh, always focus on, you know, making sure that you understand the problem and you are willing to resolve the problem. And so Toyota Way is really focused on uh, essentially continuous improvement and making sure that you resolve problems. You don't want to hide your problems. You want to put them on the table and make sure that specifically as a leader or an executive, your responsibility is to find a way to resolve the problem with your team so that then you can move on to the next problem and, and make things better. So Toyota was a tremendous uh, great opportunity for me. Uh, I really learned a lot from, from the Toyota way and TPS and all of the various aspects of, uh, of the philosophy that is around Toyota. Now I know you've been away from Toyota for a number of years, but uh, more recently, you know, Toyota is the biggest uh, automotive manufacturer in the world by volume. Uh, but has been very slow in getting into electric vehicles, right? Famously did kind of move first with the Prius, with the hybrids, uh, but has been very, very slow in talking about um, hydrogen. What are your thoughts, kind of hydrogen for passenger vehicles, and, and what do you think Toyota is going to do uh, to catch up in EVs? You know, I, I certainly do not want to talk on behalf of Toyota. I'm sure that, you know, they, they can tell you directly or tell the world directly what they think. My, my personal opinion is that, I, actually, you know, when I worked at Tesla, the first project we worked on uh, basically was to have electrification of the Toyota RAV4. And so I personally uh, was part of that. And actually, I believe this is the foundation of a great relationship that we started with them, uh, specifically when we talked about, for example, acquiring the Fremont factory and, 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 and other things after that. So I, I also think that Toyota believes in electrification. And again, I'm, I'm not speaking on their behalf here, but that's just my, my feeling. Uh, Toyota is probably exploring different technologies uh, like hydrogen. Personally, I think electrification is, is, a, is a better way when you think about not only the actual way to power the vehicle, but the infrastructure that you need. Uh, think about electrification as being extremely uh, readily available. Hydrogen, uh, maybe in some countries, is more available than others, but just the cost uh, of providing that infrastructure to me seems to be, at this time, kind of a quite a little bit of a challenge. So I am personally more on the electrification side, um, even though I do respect the fact that hydrogen is a great uh, amount of great application uh, in some cases. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a second a little bit more. So is it is it safe to say that uh, the Fremont plant, uh, Tesla plant, it was your doing, was a big reason, you know, because you had that connection with Toyota um, and Numi. 
I, I suppose uh, before that. Well, I don't want to take the no, I don't want to take the, the credit by myself. I, we, no, this is not me. I, I'm, I'm a lot more humble than that. We we did work uh, very very closely with some of my executive colleagues at Tesla, and of course Elon was a big part of that. Um, and so let's say I played a role. I played a good role into this, and I'm very proud that we were able to to get the the former Numi facility. It was for Tesla a, a great uh, stepping stone to become, you know, kind of a, a world-class uh, manufacturer on, on a world, you know, world stage, so to speak, at global scale. And so, yeah, I'm very proud of that. But I'm, I'm by no means I'm the only, the only person in this. I'm really excited to share something a long time in the making with you. My first online course. Over the years, I've trained thousands of founders through my book, Accelerated Startup, and my infamous Pitching Like a Boss workshops and keynotes. Like I've done for thousands of founders, I will teach you how to pitch like a boss. And for the first time ever, I will be doing it in a cohort-based online course. This is the world's most comprehensive and intensive course for entrepreneurs and future founders on pitching. It will help you craft the perfect pitch for investors and customers. It will also help you master public speaking. Get funded, communicate your vision to grow your team and dramatically improve sales of any product. Check out golem.net slash pitching. That's G-O-L-O-M-B dot slash pitching for more information. See you there. Now, from Toyota, which is arguably very carefully managed, uh, you know, very well managed, uh, very precise and high quality company, you went to a startup and a startup that's closer in culture, at least from the outside to kind of, let's say, Facebook, move fast and break things. And uh, so you, you ended up spending um, almost nine years at Tesla. Uh, what inspired you to take this risk on when Tesla had really like a 10% chance of survival back in 2010? And, and talk a little bit about the different hats that you wore while you were building this, you know, building this company almost from the beginning. Yeah, so it's, it's actually a great question. Thank you for asking. You know, sometimes my wife and I still ask the question uh, to ourselves, like recently we were talking about that decision-making process. It actually happened on Christmas Eve um, in, in, in 2009, and essentially, uh, you know, we, we discussed that over the phone um, uh, but with Elon. But, but the reason why I was attracted by Tesla is, very honestly, I had the opportunity to meet uh, Elon and meet France at LAX. Um, for the first time, and they had a Roadster there. A Roadster was an incredible car, and you know, part of the, it was kind of an interview, and a kind of a meeting that I had with both of them, and then uh, after the, the, the meeting, uh, Elon asked me, you know, would you mind, would you like to, to ride the Roadster? And I had never, ever driven an electric car before. And um, I drove that car that day, and I can tell you, I was ecstatic. I was like, wow, this is incredible. The, the, the performance of the car, the fact it was quiet, like I could see, you know, you know, be, behind, be beyond even the thrill of driving the car, I really understood the potential of electrification. And I really, I guess you can say fell in love. I don't know if you can say it this way, but it's kind of like, you know, I was really attracted by, by uh, making, you know, this, uh, this incredible adventure. 
architecture. The other thing that attracted me is that, you know, for me, being an executive in a big car company, to be given the trust initially to essentially start a car company from the ground up together with a bunch of people was incredibly exciting. It's the kind of opportunity you don't get twice necessarily in a lifetime. And so I thought it was really, uh, you know, something that was exciting. I mean, my wife and I, of course, discussed the risks. We knew that there was risk. Uh, but I took the I took the chance, and and really I, I wanted to I wanted to explore that path, and that's that's what I did. Yeah, I mean that, that's incredible. I mean just just to put it in perspective, uh, how big how big was the company when you joined? How many people? To be honest with you, I don't really remember. I think it was uh, uh, it was in 2010, so I'm gonna say maybe maximum uh, 150 ish. I don't know, maybe 200. I, I don't remember exactly. It was mainly a small team in Menlo Park and. Uh, uh, and some engineers, I mean, on the powertrain side, there was no real vehicle manufacturing um, structure at all. We started from scratch. There, w- there were a few manufacturing people on the powertrain side, and that's about it. So, you know, small team. Yeah. And, and when you left, how big was it? Oh, when I left in 2000, I left in 2018. I think the company was like, was it like 15,000 or something or I don't know, something like that? So I, th- I think you joined at the right time and left at the right time. You, you, you got the fun part. Of building the company, it was a it was a fun part for sure. Not, I mean, uh, fun. Uh, the definition of fun is is actually interesting. You know, it, it was challenging, but it was really also something that I feel passionate about, and I, I don't regret any anything any of it. You know, it was really cool. Now, Elon is famously, you know, like like many leaders that uh, that create passion. I mean, he he's created kind of a religion behind him, uh, so he's kind of an extreme, uh, and he's a bit of a polarizing figure. What was it like uh, to work with somebody who didn't really understand, you know, bounds and limits and kind of that's the way he kind of broke through through a lot of things that other people would think is, is impossible? I mean, it's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of uh, crazy hours. What was it like uh, to work in that environment and how different was it from, you know, Toyota, which is kind of a, uh, a cruise ship of a company, a giant, a giant machine? How was that? Yeah. For, first, let me say that Elon is an incredible person. I don't. I don't think this is a secret to anybody. Everybody knows that by now. Um, I personally enjoyed uh, working with Elon because he, he was totally fr- kind of fresh. Uh, he had a fresh look on all this, right? He, he was not an automotive person, certainly in the time. Now I'm sure that you know he's 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 a lot more knowledgeable in that world. But at the time, he, he was not as knowledgeable of automotive. What I really enjoyed is. is his, his, his ability to basically question the the, the possible, right, and the impossible. Like the, he would push the boundaries uh, very quickly and very naturally towards things that we may think are impossible, and he would challenge us, me and, and everybody else, including himself, to go beyond uh, what's obvious. And I really appreciated that, and I learned a lot from that experience. I really did. Uh, we did things uh, in the beginning, and, and then since Tesla has done things that are incredibly different than than others. And this is, I believe, one of the reasons of the success of the company. Like everything is 
possible. You just had to break it down into the principle of physics to the to the lowest level, so to speak. And to some extent, it's not that difficult from the. It's not that different than uh, to the Toyota system, which is, you know, if you break down a problem into smaller problems that you can resolve, and you resolve all of them scientifically and logically, you will come up with the right solution. And so when you think about that kind of uh, idea, it's, it's actually not that different conceptually. The difference is the pace, uh, is the, how can I say, you know, kind of like the, the overall culture is a bit different, but, but fundamentally I think it was incredibly satisfying for me. Now, you went through and you set up, uh, the, you were responsible for setting up the entire manufacturing process, which uh, for a car company is quite a feat. Um, a lot of car companies now are coming out and doing this, and some are struggling. Uh, some are struggling more than Tesla ever did uh, in, in doing that process. For our audience, can you kind of walk through a little bit about the, this process of setting up automotive manufacturing and the complexities involved? So, so first of all, to, to, to be clear, I was not in charge of everything, right? I, I, I purposely, my, my mission was to start the vehicle manufacturing for Model S. That, that really is where we started from scratch. And so essentially, I'm going to say that at the beginning, we didn't have even a factory to do so. The, the first task was to find a location for the factory. But even before that, uh, the, the most, uh, let's say, time-consuming and the most important thing is to, is to actually find the, the right people um, for the team and so you know if you don't have the right team of people along with you um, you know you, you will not achieve success so I spend a lot of time together with my HR recruiting colleagues uh, which I'm, I'm still very thankful to uh, to find the right talent and so you need to understand what talent you need in order to build up the, the whole vehicle manufacturing uh, processes, first of all. And then, you know, that means all the way from uh, manufacturing engineers, equipment engineers. Then as you think about the various disciplines, you know, you have the body shop, the stamping, uh, you have the welding, you have the paint, etc. You need to really break down the kind of talent you need so that you can, um, you know, engineer all of that process internally to the to, to the, the company and Elon uh, you know was very strong on insourcing a lot of know-how inside the company which is a the right strategy especially when you when you invent something new you know you will not find everything ready on the on the market so you have to find the necessary talent meaning the intelligence the know-how the skill set the mindset of the people in order to do all of these various tasks once you have a team in place you know it's it becomes a lot easier so to speak if you have the money which we did have the money initially to do some of that and this is how you start and then of course as you 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 get the the process in place you need to make sure that the the, the process is a capable to produce the product in a, in a reliable way so there is a lot of interaction between the engineers you know designing the product the car the model s in this case as well as the manufacturing and we went through uh, you know a, a certain amount of iteration you know it was you know it was a new concept right electric car was new so we, we, we did a little bit of learning there but finally we were able to launch the model s and then from there you know of course the rest is history right model s model x model 3 etc so it, it's a quite a complex process uh, yeah a lot of these companies are struggling now too and, and they're investing hundreds of millions or billions of dollars into this uh, it seems like tesla did it uh, relatively cheap compared to them now 
So it's interesting what, what will happen uh, next in this particular market. Now, with this major milestone in your career, what was your biggest takeaway? I, I'm going to say, uh, I mean, many takeaways, but the, the first one is, the, as, I, as I mentioned, nothing is impossible. Uh, that's that's a premise, right? So it's kind of like you need to you need to be mentally you know ready for that. You just need to find a way to get to the result that you that you need to. The second one is personally, uh, and it sounds obvious, but as I mentioned, a great team of people. You need to you, you cannot achieve things alone. You need to have the right talent, the right people, the right skill set and that that is certainly something that I, I definitely benefited from I had great people working with me uh, that I recruited and some some that you know I worked with uh, over time um, and then at the end of the day you know you, you, you want to you know you want to have fun you want you want to have excitement so you know when you do something new like this from scratch it's it's a lot of fun it's also very very tiring it's also very hard you know you have to work hard but all of this combined Mind makes 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 you feel that you have accomplished something in your life that is useful to society, and that's really a combination of all that for me. Now, lightning, uh, you're trying to make the lightning strike twice. You said it's a once in a uh, once in a career opportunity that you had with Tesla. Now you you left Tesla in 2018. You joined Right Speed um, to electrify trucks and buses. So uh, there must be something about this company that uh, you thought was very very special. Uh, what inspired you to to dive in and tell us a little bit about Right Speed and what makes it a special company? Yeah, absolutely. The, fir the first thing is I met uh, Ian Wright, the founder of the company, and Ian is a very brilliant engineer. Um, he, he kind of like uh, uh, you know was co-founder of Tesla in the early days, and then uh, he, he heard of me and he, he called me in and said, "Hey, do, do you want to work with me?" and so on. And uh, to be honest with you, at the beginning, I, I was not really sure what Right Speed was about. The first time we met, uh, we, we walked through uh, you know the the Alameda facility here, and he showed me some of the technology that he had um, developed. And so basically, it was all about electrification of big trucks and big, big uh, vehicles. You know, it's, it's, it's very important to know that basically uh, those vehicles maybe consist of maybe 4% of the total vehicle population, but they pollute to a level of about 30% of the on-road emission and consume about maybe a quarter of, of the fuel. Uh, you know, you think about all the diesel that, that is consumed. So the business case, the 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 ESG environment around that is compelling. You know, we, we need you know passenger cars are great in terms of you know uh, you know the amount of uh, impact to society, but so are big vehicles like trucks and buses and, and so on. And so I saw with um, Hien the potential of, the, of electrification of those vehicles would be very beneficial to the planet. And then also I saw that his approach to it, which was also based on two physics and so on, was also very relevant in terms of those big vehicles. You cannot have the same solutions necessarily between a big truck and a, a passenger car and so I think he focused heavily on the on the heavy classes of vehicle class six seven eight and this is where I, I saw that you know right speed had a great potential now company was founded a few years ago and you joined when it was already uh, fully more or less fully formed but still a startup and uh, tell us a little bit about the kind of the products that you're planning to bring out to market and what are the timelines and uh, 
you know, let's talk a little bit about kind of battery electrics versus hydrogen and, and some of these uh, elements that, that are a bigger impact in the heavier vehicles. So, so great question. So basi basically we are developing and we have four major components uh, uh, as part of our powertrain system solutions. Uh, the first one is what we call an electric axle, which is essentially uh, a dual gearbox uh, with dual electric motor a system that directly uh, uh, is plugged into the axle of the truck. So there's no prop shaft, there is no kind of uh, indirect, uh, you know, uh, drive lines to, to the rear axles. Uh, this is directly onto that. So that's uh, that's one of the components. Second component is the, the battery, high-voltage high battery power, uh, which is consisting of, of course, battery cells, modules, as well as battery packs. And then, you know, we have designed such a system that it fits within the typical rail uh, rails of a truck. Uh, typically, a truck is made of a, what they call a ladder structure with uh, rails and cross members, and we essentially have developed a system that fits within the rails as well as on the side of the rail if necessary. Um, and so the third uh, component is the, the overall uh, software that is essentially uh, you know necessary to synchronize all of these components together together with the truck vehicle control vehicle dynamic control as well as the BMS etc. Uh, the third is actually the interface with the driver it's a kind of a instrument panel system that collects the data from our system and then it basically displays it onto the instrument panel but also allows for data extractions so that maybe the fleet owner can extract that data, analyze it, and then uh, essentially can optimize whether it's the routing or the maintenance or maybe the productivity of, uh, of the driver. And then the, the last, which is a bit unique to ride speed, is the option for what we call a range extender, which is a more like, a, we prefer to call it onboard charger, which has the benefit of, in some cases, uh, you know, when the customer Customers still want to have a lot of range with a lot of payload, you know, allows to have a smaller battery pack and yet utilize some some of the fuel at, at, at a smaller amount in order to recharge the battery. And so the fuel could be diesel, like some of the customers in, say, Middle East or other part of the world still are using diesel. Uh, it could be CNG and RNG, or it could be actually a hydrogen fuel cell stack. Um, so depending on this, the solution. So we, we offer both a full EV solution as well as a, let's call it, wrench extended solution. Very interesting. And will people see right speed trucks on the road or is this uh, under kind of an Intel inside situation? Oh yeah, it's more than Intel inside. It's, uh, we, we, we like to talk about, you know, we're focusing on the heart of the truck, the, the powertrain. Typically, uh, you know, the, the, let's say the, the cost uh, is into, you know, the power train, you know, how much fuel it consumes, how efficient it is, how reliable it is in terms of maintenance, etc. So that's where we are. We, we, I don't know if we're going to see a right speed truck, maybe, maybe later, 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 but today really the focus is really powertrain. And you're going after buses as well, right? Or, or is that a little bit later? No, right now actually we're working actively onto a bus application. So we have a, a customer in the Middle East that uh, that has given us two, two buses to basically uh, retrofit with our powertrain, EV powertrain system. And so our system is, is unique in the sense that it's uh, that it's uh, basically modular and agnostic to the kind of uh, vehicle. It could be a bus, it could be a box 
ops truck, it could be a refuse truck, it could be even a, a long haul highway truck. And so, you know, it can be applicable to many different kind of uh, truck configuration or, or bus configurations. For you, it doesn't matter. They're, they're about the same size and about the same weight. Well, I guess trucks can be a little bit heavier when they're when they're tugging certain things. Yeah, t t typically, uh, Vitali, I think that our, our application today is, is geared towards class six, seven, and eight uh, vehicles, buses or trucks, kind of the heaviest side. And we are the most efficient when there is a lot of what we call start-stop, uh, you know, like, for example, transit uh, buses or, or refuse truck, for example, with, uh, where, where the truck is come and go all the time. We have a very efficient way to regenerate electricity from the wheels back into the battery at very low speed. And this is where our gearbox, for example, offers a lot of uh, advantage. When companies start to catch fire and blitz scale and look for capital to fuel that growth or look to find the right exit strategy, they often seek the counsel of investment bankers. At Drakestar Partners, we work with some of the leading companies in global tech on capital raises, M&A, corporate carve-outs, SPACs, and much more. And we're pretty good at it. Our team of over 100 technology sector experts across nine offices in six countries is comprised of not only career bankers, but experienced executive venture investors and technologists. Drakestar Partners is the number one ranked and fastest growing mid-market investment bank across US and Europe. While I focus on mobility and energy transition sector, along with all things Silicon Valley, my partners from the Pacific to the Atlantic and around the world lead in software, media, communications, and everything in between. Learn more about us at drakestar.com. Now you've chosen to go battery electric for your initial products at least. What are your thoughts? There's been a lot of discussion about hydrogen for trucks because you can basically predict where they're coming from and where they're going to and you can have the infrastructure. Do you think hydrogen will make sense at some point for these longer distance applications? Well, the, d the debate is on. I, I think, you know, it's kind of, uh, you have two parts of the world. You have the people uh, that, that strongly believe that hydrogen is a solution. Uh, and certainly for highway long haul, it could be because, you know, um, you know I can see that uh, being a good answer, provided you have the infrastructure to do it and you invest into that. Obviously, I think that for us, for example, if you specifically look at our kind of application, start-stop, urban transport environment, um, you know, whether it's a bus or, or, or distribution truck or refuse truck, I personally believe that our solution is very well adapted. And as I mentioned to you, you know, uh, you could have either a zero emission with full EV, uh, but then you need a little bit heavier batteries, right, because you have all these big payloads. And if you don't want to lose the payload, then our solution is even makes even more sense because now you can have a smaller battery pack, less weight, and yet with our wrench extender, you could still have zero emission if you had, let's say, a, a fuel stack or, or even, you know, an RNG, which, by the way, has a negative footprint. So some of our customers look at RNG as extremely interesting because obviously it's renewable uh, gas, and so you can, you know, overall, it, it, it makes actually good, perfect sense, like, for example, for refuse. And so I, I think my answer is a little bit uh, convoluted here in the sense that it depends on the application. And so we strongly believe we have a good solution for many applications, maybe not all, but um, definitely a lot of potential. 
It'll be interesting to see a garbage truck in the future that can uh, convert the garbage in real time into biomass and power itself. We could power powered by garbage and and uh, end up uh, not dumping anything. That would be that would be the ultimate sustainable vehicle, I think. Also, the co the quietness, you know, like when you you know if uh, you know you and I know, you know, when the garbage trucks come around, you know, the kind of noise it makes and the and the pollution and all that, and then so it would be cool to have a garbage truck that is super clean, super quiet, and kind of self sufficient almost <laughs> yeah that'd be interesting maybe i should uh, start that that company one day yeah let's let's partner together how about that yeah absolutely so um i mean what's your general outlook on electrification i mean with with uh, with covid at least in passenger vehicles and in people's minds uh it seems like um you know ev went from something that was very speculative 10 years ago when you joined tesla or more than 10 years ago now uh, to completely inevitable, right? The, the world kind of considers, and now we see a huge jump, 40% in passenger EVs uh, during COVID, a uh, huge spike, and, and it just became obvious to everybody. What do you? Th what, what's your outlook to electrification? What do you think as far as, you know, the, the heavy vehicles that you're focused on, the passenger vehicles, uh, aviation, how fast do you think we're going to reach the tipping point and, and have majority electric vehicles out there in different forms? Well, I wish I had a crystal ball. i tell you exactly that. But I, I think it's going to go really fast, super fast. You know, 10 years ago, as you said, when we started, that Tesla was like kind of like the oddball, right? Kind of like all oh, these guys in California, what are they doing, you know? And now, like you see all, all the German manufacturers, you know, everybody in the world is making these EVs. And so it's definitely, it's, it's here. The future is now. Okay. Uh, the question I have is like, especially in, in the in the trucking business, which is a little bit heavier, etc. I believe that technology will definitely improve in terms of energy density, in terms of the, the kind of uh, you know uh, cost also. You know, so I think that definitely even in the, the big trucks or big buses, etc. I think we're going to see electric, whether it's fully electric or a combination like I was alluding. I think. Depending on the application, I'm pretty clear, pretty sure that it's going to be the best technological combination to, to, to lower the TCO for the fleet owner, the total cost of ownership, so the dollar per mile, right? So because in, in the case of, for example, a truck or a bus, that's really what counts as dollar per mile. Make sure that the total cost of ownership is the lowest possible, as well as help the environment. So I, I personally believe that certainly for cars and trucks and buses, future is now. It's going to go electric, maybe a little bit of mix between electric and something else. For aviation, we, all, we also see right a lot, quite a lot of startups, uh, more than startups actually, companies are developing electric, uh, you know, uh, what do you call it, ETOL e or, you know. The VTOLs, vertical takeoff and landing, yeah. VTOL, okay. And so I think, I think that there is a, a lot of potential there to also. I, I think there is also a little bit more question about regulation you know in the air I think it's a little bit different than perhaps on the ground the other thing is the the telematics the data manipulation and how, how to kind of uh, connect all these vehicles together will develop uh, greatly the wireless charging I believe is going to come also in the picture really quickly so I think the overall world of electrification is moving at a speed which is almost light speed yeah it's pretty amazing now what do you think is you know a lot has been been made a big deal out of the software part of it and um do you think tesla does really does have that that advantage because it's been around for a few years longer many years longer depends on how you look at it and do you think software is is such an important part of it or are there other things that 
people are not realizing are really the difficult part of this this formula of building vehicles in the future? Um, I, I don't want to answer about Tesla. I mean, obviously, I'm a little biased. I kind of uh, I think Tesla has been uh, you know making great great insight. I'm sure they are. I'm sure they are very 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 much ahead. I I, I would think. I, I, this is my opinion. I don't have any you know I don't work for them anymore. But I'm sure that you know they have a huge potential uh, knowledge about that with the, the like billions of miles that are driven and all the data, etc. So I, I see that as being key. Software, the speed of the hardware, you know, the, so the software and hardware combination, I think, with autonomous vehicle and the ability to uh, to really, uh, you know, uh, have the vehicle behave the way you want autonomously, it's very key. The, the kind of, uh, you know, what kind of camera uh, versus uh, other technology, I think that's, that's also very key. Basically, if you think about a vehicle, whether it's a car or a truck, when you think about it, it's going to become like a very sophisticated machine. And it is already, you would say, but, but it's going to become even more sophisticated, probably also more intelligent, you know? And so I wouldn't be surprised that AI at some point has some, some, some play to these vehicles and how they connect to each other, how they connect with the environment. Um, I think there's a lot of things that are very exciting in the electrification world. Very good. Now, uh, I'd like to end with this question. Uh, kind of, we, we went through from beginning of your career through through current day and what you're excited about in the near future. Now, um, what would you tell that little boy playing with cars and trucks, or maybe a teenager? What career advice would you have given your younger self uh, now that you've enjoyed a few different things? That you've built oh man there's there's lots lots of learning and uh, but but i'd say to make it simple you, you need to be I, I i would say be be curious about the world be, be curious you know uh, travel expatriate yourself learn new culture be a learner right kind of uh, try to understand what's going on around you and see and try to understand what's exciting to you what are you passionate about and then the last thing, have fun. If you can have fun doing all this, you're good. And so I, I know it, it sounds a little bit uh, kind of general, but that's really the most important thing. Um, of course, there's many other things I could say, but these are the things that come to my mind. That was our conversation with Jolbert Passine, CEO of Rightspeed. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to give us five stars on your favorite podcast platform and share with your friends. See you on the next one. And in the meantime, you can always find me at golem.net.